Section three of Handbook of Home Rule. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Handbook of Home Rule being articles on the Irish question. American Home Rule by E. L. Godkin. Part two. A complaint of outrages committed in Georgia was referred by the general of the army in june eighteen sixty nine to the general of the department of the south for thorough investigation and report general terry in his report made august fourteenth eighteen sixty nine says in many parts of the state there is practically no government the worst of crimes are committed and no attempt is made to punish those who commit them murders have been and are frequent the abuse in various ways of the blacks is too common to excite notice there can be no doubt of the existence of numerous insurrectionary organizations known as ku klux klans who shielded by their disguise by the secrecy of their movements and by the terror which they inspire perpetrate crime with impunity there is great reason to believe that in some cases local magistrates are in sympathy with the members of these organizations in many places they are overawed by them and dare not attempt to punish them to punish such offenders by civil proceedings would be a difficult task even were magistrates in all cases disposed and had they the courage to do their duty for the same influences which govern them equally affect juries and witnesses lieutenant-colonel lewis merrill who assumed command in louisiana on the twenty sixth of march and commenced investigation into the state of affairs says from the best information i can get i estimate the number of cases of whipping beating and personal violence of various grades in this county since the first of last november at between three and four hundred excluding numerous minor cases of threats intimidation abuse and small personal violence such as knocking down with a pistol or gun etc the more serious outrages exclusive of murders and whippings noted hereafter have been the following he then proceeds with the details of sixty-eight cases giving the names of the parties injured white and black and including the tearing up of the railway on the night before a raid was made by the ku klux on the county treasury building the rails were taken up to prevent the arrival of the united states troops who it was known were to come on sunday morning the raid was made on that sunday night while troops were lying at chester twenty-two miles distant unable to reach yorkville because of the rails being torn up another witness said to give the details of the whipping of men to compel them to change their mode of voting the tearing of them away from their families at night accompanied with insults and outrage and followed by their murder would be but repeating what has been described in other states showing that it is the same organization in all working by the same means for the same end five murders are shown to have been committed in monroe county fifteen in naxuby one in lowndes by the testimony taken in the city of washington but the extent to which schoolhouses were burnt teachers whipped and outrages committed in this state cannot be fully given until the testimony taken by the subcommittee shall have been printed and made ready to report there are about eighty closely printed large octavo pages of this kind of testimony given by sufferers from the outrages something was done to suppress the ku klux by a federal act passed in eighteen seventy one which made offences of this kind punishable in the federal courts 
considerable numbers of them were arrested tried and convicted and sent to undergo their punishment in the northern jails but there was no complete pacification of the south until the carpet-bag governments were refused the support of the federal troops by president hayes on his accession to power in eighteen seventy six then the carpet-bag regime disappeared like a house of cards the chief carpet-baggers fled and the government passed at once into the hands of the native whites i do not propose to defend or explain the way in which they have since kept it in their hands by suppressing or controlling the negro vote this is not necessary to my purpose what i seek to show is that the irish are not peculiar in their manner of expressing their discontent with a government directed or controlled by the public opinion of another indifferent or semi-hostile community which it is impossible to resist in open warfare that anglo-saxons resort to somewhat the same methods under similar circumstances and that lawlessness and cruelty considered as expressions of political animosity do not necessarily argue any incapacity for the conduct of an orderly and efficient government although i admit freely that they do argue a low state of civilization i will add one more illustration which although more remote than those which i have taken from the southern states during the reconstruction period is not too remote for my purpose and is in some respects stronger than any of them i do not know a more orderly community in the world or one which down to the outbreak of the civil war when manufactures began to multiply and the irish immigration began to pour in had a higher average of intelligence than the state of connecticut down to eighteen eighteen all voters in that state had to be members of the congregational church it had no large cities and this with the aid of its seat of learning yale college preserved in it i think in greater purity than even massachusetts the old puritan simplicity of manners the puritan spirit of order and thrift and the business-like view of government which grew out of the practice of town government a less sentimental community i do not think exists anywhere or one in which the expression of strong feeling on any subject but religion is less cultivated or viewed with less favor in the manner of managing their own political affairs in peace or war i do not expect the irish to equal the connecticut people for a hundred years to come no matter how much practice they may have in the interval and i think that fifty years ago it was only picked bodies of englishmen who could do so yet in eighteen thirty three in the town of canterbury one of the most orderly and intelligent in the state an estimable and much esteemed lady miss prudence crandall was carrying on a girls school when something happened to touch her conscience about the condition of the free negroes of the north she resolved in a moment of enthusiasm to undertake the education of negro girls only what follows forms one of the most famous episodes in the anti-slavery struggle in america and is possibly familiar to many of the older readers of this article i shall extract the account of it as given briefly in the lately published life of william lloyd garrison by his sons some of the details are much worse than is here described the story of this remarkable case cannot be pursued here except in brief it will be enough to say that the struggle between the modest and heroic young quaker woman and the town lasted for nearly two years that the school was opened in april that attempts were immediately made under the law to frighten the pupils away and to fine miss crandall for harboring them 
that in may an act prohibiting private schools for non-resident colored persons and providing for the expulsion of the latter was procured from the legislature amid the greatest rejoicing in canterbury even to the ringing of church bells that under this act miss crandall was in june arrested and temporarily imprisoned in the county jail twice tried august and october and convicted that her case was carried up to the supreme court of errors and her persecutors defeated on a technicality july eighteen thirty four and that pending this litigation the most vindictive and inhuman measures were taken to isolate the school from the countenance and even the physical support of the townspeople the shops and the meeting-house were closed against teacher and pupils carriage in public conveyances was denied them physicians would not wait upon them miss crandall's own family and friends were forbidden under penalty of heavy fines to visit her the well was filled with manure and water from other sources refused the house itself was smeared with filth assailed with rotten eggs and stones and finally set on fire volume one page three twenty one miss crandall is still living in the west in extreme old age and the connecticut legislature voted her a small pension two years ago as a slight expiation of the ignominy and injustice from which she had suffered at the hands of a past generation the spectator frequently refers to the ferocious hatred displayed toward the widow of curtain the man who was cruelly murdered by moonlighters somewhere in Kerry, as an evidence of barbarism which almost if not quite justifies the denial of self-government to a people capable of producing such monsters in one spot and on one occasion let me match this from mississippi with a case which i produce not because it was singular but because it was notorious at the north where it occurred in eighteen seventy seven one chisholm a native of the state and a man of good standing and character became a republican after the war and was somewhat active in organizing the negro voters in his district he was repeatedly warned by some of his neighbors to desist and abandon politics but continued resolutely on his course a mob composed of many of the leading men in the town then attacked him in his house he made his escape with his wife and young daughter and a son a lad of fourteen to the jail his assailants broke the jail open and killed him and his son and desperately wounded the daughter the poor lad received such a volley of bullets that his blood went in one rush to the floor and traced the outlines of his trunk on the ceiling of the room below where it remained months afterwards an eyewitness told me as an illustration of the callousness of the jailer the leading murderers were tried they had no defence the facts were not disputed the judge and the bar did their duty but the jury acquitted the prisoners without leaving their seats mrs chisholm the widow found neither sympathy nor friends at the scene of the tragedy she had to leave the state and found refuge in washington where she now holds a clerkship in the treasury department let me cite as another illustration the violent ways in which popular discontent may find expression in communities whose political capacity and general respect for the law and its officers as well as for the sanctity of contracts have never been questioned large tracts of land were formerly held along the hudson river in the state of new york by a few families of which the van rensselaers and the livingstons were the chief 
either under grants from the dutch at the first settlement of the colony or from the english crown after the conquest that known as the manor of rensselaerwick held by the van rensselaers comprised a tract of country extending twenty-four miles north and south and forty-eight miles east and west lying on each side of the hudson river it was held by the tenants for perpetual leases the rents were on the van rensselaer estate fourteen bushels of wheat for each hundred acres and four fat hens and one day's service with a carriage and horses to each farm of one hundred and sixty acres besides this there was a fine on alienation amounting to about half a year's rent the livingston estates were led in much the same way in eighteen thirty nine stephen von rensselaer the proprietor or patroon as he was called died with four hundred thousand dollars due to him as arrears from the tenants for which being a man of easy temper he had forborne to press them but he left the amount in trust by his will for the payment of his debts and his heirs proceeded to collect it and persisted in the attempt during the ensuing seven years what then happened i shall describe in the words of mr john bigelow mr tilden was a member of the state legislature in eighteen forty six and was appointed chairman of a committee to investigate the rent troubles and make the report which furnished the basis for the legislation by which they were subsequently settled mr bigelow who has edited mr tilden's public writings and speeches prefaces the report with the following explanatory note attempts were made to enforce the collection of these rents the tenants resisted they established armed patrols and by the adoption of various disguises were enabled successfully to defy the civil authorities eventually it became necessary to call out the military but the result was only partially satisfactory these demonstrations of authority provoked the formation of anti-rent clubs throughout the manorial district with a view of acquiring a controlling influence in the legislature small bands armed and disguised as indians were also formed to hold themselves in readiness at all times to resist the officers of the law whenever and wherever they attempted to serve legal process upon the tenants the principal roads throughout the infected district were guarded by the band so carefully and the animosity between the tenants and the civil authorities was so intense that at last it became dangerous for anyone not an anti-renter to be found in these neighborhoods it was equally dangerous for the landlords to make any appeal to the law or for the collection of rents or for the protection of their persons when governor wright entered upon his duties in albany in eighteen forty five he found that the anti-rent party had a formidable representation in the legislature and that the questions involved were assuming an almost national importance the sheriff made gallant attempts to enforce the law but his deputies were killed and a legal investigation in which two hundred persons were examined failed to reveal the perpetrators of the crime the militia were called out but they were no more successful than the sheriff in the case of one murder committed in delaware county in eighteen forty five however two persons were convicted but their sentence was commuted to imprisonment for life various others concerned in the disturbances were convicted of minor offences but when governor young succeeded governor seward after an election in which the anti-renters showed considerable voting strength he pardoned them all on the ground that their crimes were political the dispute was finally settled by a compromise that is 
the van rensselaers and the livingstons both sold their estates giving quitclaim deeds to the tenants for what they chose to pay and the granting of agricultural leases for a longer term than twelve years was forbidden by the state constitution of eighteen forty six this anti-rent agitation is described by president johnston of princeton in the cyclopedia of political science as a reign of terror which for ten years practically suspended the operation of law and the payment of rent throughout the district suppose all the land of the state had been held under similar tenures that the controversy had lasted one hundred years that the rents had been high and that the van rensselaers and the livingstons had had the aid of the federal army in enforcing distraints and evictions and in enabling them to set local opinion at defiance what do you suppose the state of morals and manners would have been in new york by this time what would have been the feelings of the people towards the federal authority had the matter been finally adjusted with the strong hand in accordance not with the views of the people of the state but of the landholders of south carolina or of the district of columbia i am afraid they would have been terribly irish i know very well the risk i run inciting all these precedents and parallels of seeming to justify or at all events to palliate irish lawlessness but i am not doing anything of the kind i am trying to illustrate a somewhat trite remark which i recently made that government is a very practical business and that those succeed best in it who bring the least sentiment or enthusiasm to the conduct of their affairs the government of ireland like the government of all other countries is a piece of business a very difficult piece of business i admit and therefore horror over irish doings and the natural and human desire to get even with murderers and moonlighters by denying the community which produces them something it would like much to possess should have no influence with those who are charged with irish government it is only in nurseries and kindergartens that we can give offenders their exact due and withhold their toffee until they have finished satisfactory proofs of repentance rulers of men have to occupy themselves mainly with the question of drying up the sources of crime and often in order to accomplish this to let much crime and disorder go unwhipped of justice with a state of mind which cannot bear to see any concessions made to the irish nationalists because they are such wicked men in which so many excellent englishmen whom we used to think genuine political philosophers are now living we are very familiar in the united states it is a state of mind which prevailed in the republican party with regard to the south down to the election of eighteen eighty four and found constant expression on the stump and in the newspapers in what is described in political slang as waving the bloody shirt it showed itself after the war in unwillingness to release the south from military rule then in unwillingness to remove the disfranchisement of the whites or to withdraw from the carpet-bag state governments the military support without which they could not have existed for a day and last of all in dread of the advent of a democratic federal administration in which southerners or ex-rebels would be likely to hold office at first the whole republican party was more or less permeated by these ideas but the number of those who held them gradually diminished until in eighteen eighty four it was at last possible to elect a democratic president nevertheless a great multitude witnessed the entrance into the white house of a president who was indebted for his election mainly to the states formerly in rebellion with genuine alarm they feared from it something dreadful 
in the shape of either a violation of the rights of the freedmen or of an assault on the credit and stability of the federal government nothing but actual experiment would have disabused them i am very familiar with the controversy with them for i have taken some part in it ever since the passage of the reconstruction acts and i know very well how they felt and am sometimes greatly impressed by the similarity between their arguments and those of the opponents of irish home rule one of their fixed beliefs for many years though it is now extinct was that southerners were so bent on rebelling again and were generally so prone to rebellion that the awful consequences of their last attempt in the loss of life and property had made absolutely no impression on them the southerner was in fact in their eyes what mr gladstone says the irishman is in the eyes of some englishmen a lusus naturae that justice common sense moderation national prosperity had no meaning for him that all he could appreciate was strife and perpetual dissension it was for many years useless to point out to them the severity of the lesson taught by the civil war as to the physical superiority of the north or the necessity of peace and quiet to enable the new generation of southerners to restore their fortunes or even gain a livelihood nor was it easy to impress them with the inconsistency of arguing that it was slavery which made southerners what they were before they went to war and maintaining at the same time that the disappearance of slavery would produce no change in their manners ideas or opinions all this they answered by pointing to speeches delivered by some fiery adorer of the lost cause to the ku klux outrages to political murders like that of chisholm to the building of monuments to the confederate dead or to some newspaper expression of reverence for confederate nationality in fact for fully ten years after the close of the war the collection of southern outrages and their display before northern audience was the chief work of republican politicians in eighteen seventy six during the hayes tilden canvass the opening speech which furnished what is called the keynote of the campaign was made by mr wheeler the republican candidate for the vice-presidency and his advice to the vermonters to whom it was delivered was to vote as they shot that is to go to the polls with the same feelings and aims as those with which they enlisted in the war i need hardly tell english readers how all this has ended the withdrawal of the federal troops from the south by president hayes and the consequent complete restoration of the state governments to the discontented whites have fully justified the expectations of those who maintain that it is no less true in politics than in physics that if you remove what you see to be the cause the effect will surely disappear it is true at least in the western world that if you give communities in a reasonable degree the management of their own affairs the love of material comfort and prosperity which is now so strong among all civilized and even partially civilized men is sure in the long run to do the work of creating and maintaining order or as mr gladstone has expressed it in setting up a government the best and surest foundation we can find to build on is the foundation afforded by the affections the convictions and the will of men end of section three